Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, let me say thank you so much for being a listener. Now, I want to alert you to our shiny new podcast website located at podpage.com. However, you can go directly to the podcast site located at www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. There, you can contact me through email. You can leave a voice message. You can leave a review. You can read an episode blog and frequently learn about the podcast guests. You might also want to suggest podcast topic ideas or even suggest a guest. You can also let me know if you would like to receive our podcast listener logo that you can post on your social media. So I look forward to hearing from you about our new podcast website, www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Public Relations Review Podcast and have a great day. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners all across America and around the world. Now, the use of influences in marketing continues to grow. And joining us today from Erie, Pennsylvania, is Zach Stahlsmith, CEO and founder of Apex Drop. Now, we'll get into the genesis of the name shortly. However, Apex Drop is a growth marketing firm that develops and offers cutting-edge marketing services proven to produce quality long-term results for their partner brands. So, just what makes them different? Well, they believe you don't need to be paid to talk about things they love or that you love. Rather than paying or trading with influencers to get instant short-term results, they believe in building influential communities that last. So with that in mind, Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Peter. Glad to be here. So first, explain how you arrived at the name Apex Drop. Uh, it was about five years ago, actually, and uh, the word Apex uh, means the peak or the pinnacle, and uh, the word drop in my uh, context is dropping uh, your products. So uh, we put these two words together, reaching the peak or pinnacle of your sales or business success by dropping products on the uh, the right type of influencer. Mm-hmm. Well, now, once you begin to do that, uh, you, you mentioned here that people don't have to be paid to talk about things that they love. How have you taken that philosophy and, and built a company around it? Yeah, that is a uh, that's a big question. Um, so the the idea was that back when influencers were kind of coming up as a thing and people started calling them influencers roughly six seven years ago, um, there was a very clear line that I would have called it like a bias line where people start to sell out or start to do things that aren't very genuine once they start to get paid a little bit more than what uh, the value of their trust is worth to their audience. So uh, we, we kind of just said in the very early days, we're not going to cross that line. We're going to stay below that bias line by just by never paying influencers cash. Um, we do offer some type of incentive, but it's more about education and connections than it is about making money. 
So we've stayed with the small influencer or the micro influencer, and there's really nothing micro about them. Um, they have the largest engagement rates, and they're very connected to their audiences. Um, and to make up for their lack of volume or size and reach, decided to scale up working with thousands of them at once, which mm-hmm. has done uh, phenomenal things for the brands we sign. So I just want to make sure I get this straight. Rather than identifying an influencer that has thousands of followers, uh, you get a, a lot of smaller influencers where their followers maybe only are in the several hundreds a, a piece. Is that close to being right? Well, micro in our uh, the definition of micro to us is somewhere between five and fifty thousand followers. Okay, is micro. So it's still it's really not that small, but that's micro in the Instagram space. Mm-hmm. And then we think of macro as anything between a hundred thousand um, and roughly five hundred thousand. And then there's the the celebrity status, which would be up in over the millions of followers. So um, we've worked in the micro spy, space for roughly five years, and and that's where we're going to stay. Okay. So what types of products have you found to be most successful as you engage uh, your followers and the companies that you reach out to? What Tell us about the products that, that you have successfully worked with. Yeah, the brands that reach out to us and have the most success typically are consumer packaged goods, um, meaning they are small enough to ship easily, and they also are can look cool um, when somebody takes a picture of, of what they have. So we have a uh, really great success in the food space, electronics, um, fashion, and accessories. Um, we actually started our company in the fashion space, and it was specifically just for clothing and, and accessories, and then we've expanded outside of that. Um, we've seen great success in um, even things like detergent and small consumer good products that we would never have dreamed would become cool on Instagram. Um, but yeah, we've been surprised by the creativity. Um, and so we're open to whatever, uh, whatever type of brand needs the exposure on Instagram and can look cool. And that's a big, big bucket of brands. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about the process. Once uh, someone comes to you, uh, uh, since you talk about consumer goods for lack of a better thing, let's say maybe a TV set, uh, and, and maybe something new about the TV set that, that, uh, I'm not sure what it could be or that, that it has Roku built into it, that sort of thing. What is the process you use for determining if you can go forward? And if you do, what are the pieces to making this a successful project for that company? Yeah. So as far as the product type um, and how we pick the right products for these campaigns, um, size plays a big part and costs of shipping and, and getting the product into the hands of the influencer. So our world is more about sharing products uh, like gifts. And, or you could think of it like product sampling um, in the digital age. So if you're going to give out a product sample, TVs might not be conducive for the gifting type of uh, campaign okay. because they're so heavy and, and, and clunky. But a, a TV that's a smaller price, maybe you know uh, under $300 would probably be a TV range that we would consider. Okay. Anything over $300, uh, you're, you're usually the product costs are a little bit too high to work in our space with the micro-influencers. Um, so we factor in product costs and shipping costs and overall time and effort and uh, the type of uh, convenience factor as well. And then how how is it going to look once we take pictures? Is it going to be appealing to these fans of these influencers in our network, which we have uh, 15,000 influencers in our network today, and they all have somewhere around 20-ish thousand followers on Instagram. So the way we interact with them is we will 
uh, we'll find a brand that we think is a good fit. We'll reach out to them and say, you know, we have a, a group of influencers that would be interested in your type of product. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they would like to test out our service, they, they send those product samples to the influencers directly. And they also pay us a fee to make that connection. And that's how Apex Drop makes money. And then the influencer gets the free product and they get this connection with this brand. Um, and we evaluate the outcomes. So in a lot of cases, we see significant increases in uh, content production and uh, conversion rate increases on the customer's website. Um, and we have ways of measuring um, ROI and measuring um, how you know, other ways to re- you reuse and repurpose that content to increase money across all channels. So um, in a lot of cases, we increase uh, conversion rates on the website, uh, conversion rates on the email campaigns, and also paid social. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, it's really fun to be in the space of lifestyle content, um, and, and there's so much uh, there's so much room for growth for so many companies. So, in essence, you're saying that the the influencers that you use are content to receive uh, an item of of whatever it is that that they're uh, bringing attention to, as compared to being paid. In a in a way, yeah. So you don't want the product to be too expensive, or it becomes payment or a form of payment. We have a, a range that we work within that typically works out well, um, but that is somewhat of a compensation. What we try not to do is cross the line where the compensation of the product is greater than what they would maybe value their trust at. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've developed this this algorithm. It's called the trust quantification system, um, patent pending, and that allows us to see if um, they've stayed under that bias line with their other posts. So something that makes us a little different than maybe trying this in-house and just doing this yourself is that we're able to identify influencers that have stayed beneath that line of kind of uh, selling out where they've stayed more genuine. And we also have the ability to scale the number of products you could send out into the thousands. Um, It's very difficult to manage that in-house. We see brands uh, attempting to do this in-house with small teams. Typically a a brand can send out maybe uh, 12 or so products in a month where they could manage it. But the results are, are varied um, depending on how skilled these marketers are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually really hard to measure the return on investment. It's also really hard to make sure the influencers do what you want them to do since you technically paid them before they did anything with your product. So there's a, uh, there's a, there's a real need for our type of service, and we're filling that. Um, and we're the only ones that I know of that uh, are strictly micro-influencer marketing um, on Instagram and without paying influencers. You know, I, I think you mentioned the very, very important issue here, and that is trust that uh, uh, influencers have among their followers and uh, that you're able to measure that. Um, how did you come about deciding uh, what the parameters are for, for measuring uh, what it is that you look for from these influencers? Yeah, I mean, I can share a little bit about how it works. Um, the algorithm obviously is proprietary, but it's essentially we collect data points around every influencer prior to them joining our network. We get hundreds of thousands of applications. So keep in mind, we are very particular about who gets in. And this uh, the process of vetting includes looking at the quality of their content, but the, the robot side or the, the AI side is checking out if they've uh, if their posts are engaging, actually engaging with the audience or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you, if you eyeball an account right now and you just look at an influencer and you say, you know, do they look like they're legit? Do they look like they're honest? Does their, does their audience 
engage with them? Um, do they have good quality pictures? Have they been around for a while? Um, are they just trying to sell things? You know, you ask those kind of questions. If you did this and you just really analyze an account, you could probably figure out um, some really good quality influencers. So is it not impossible to find? The problem is, is once you identify one, you have to start this weird interaction where you're asking them to do something for you. And it starts to come across like a, a transaction, like, hey, I will send this if you leave me a good review or you say something nice. And that awkwardness really breaks down the trust mm -hmm. and it causes bias in itself. So having a third party, an outsourced third party do that for you and act as an agent can really break down that awkward uh, trust barrier that brands typically have a hard time coming over. So like a brand is not really trusted by nature. Most people know that brands are looking to make money. And so there's this uh, unspoken rule that when you reach out as a brand to an influencer that you're going to pay them to do something. Mm -hmm. So with our agency, influencers come to us to get educated and make connections. And the free stuff is icing on the cake. So it doesn't, we don't start the conversation with free things. Um, so it's a nice little introduction. We can uh, get a brand to see the value of, of the influencer and the influencer to see the value of the product prior to them speaking about it publicly. Okay. Now, the other thing I, I also wondered about is that influencers, do you find influencers that have certain areas that they stay in or certain lanes that they stay in, or are they influencers that are all across the board? If somebody wants to engage them, they'll talk about the watches or vacations or uh, uh, tennis rackets or whatever it happens to be, kitchen utensils and so forth? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, we have niche marketers that have specific interests. So um, some of the biggest ones are travel influencers, uh, especially with males. That seems to be the most popular for men. Um, but the on the women's side, it's, it's a lot of fashion, um, a lot of beauty and fashion type influencers. There are times where an influencer sticks to their one interest, like a beauty blogger who just shows off beauty products. Mm -hmm. But what we see most often is lifestyle blogging or vlogging which is where you are kind of just showing off your life and the different things you do throughout your life. Um, you know, we have a vast network of, of quote unquote mommy bloggers. These are the, they have a, uh, they have children or a child that they like to show off in these photos they take. And those, those ones, you know, being a mom encompasses so many things. So, you know, we can't just say moms only do one thing. They, they, that's their life. They're a mom. So, um, you know, it, it really depends on what a brand's goals are and their KPIs. Um, but we typically see brands that um, are, are okay with maybe a little bit more widespread or, or general type of influencer so that they can find out what the influencer will do mm -hmm. um, with that product. So it's more of like a consumer rather than an influencer or like a really good customer um, that just happens to have lots of followers. And, you know, as I think back about the companies that uh, you deal with, particularly when you've got obviously some sort of a physical product, do they measure, let's say, because you said you've got uh, 15,000 influencers and maybe you don't need all of those, but let's say you uh, decide that this product would function and we can, uh, we can do it with 150 or 200 influencers. Does the manufacturer or the, the, the company look at uh, the, the cost of giving away whatever the product is versus what they get in return? Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a factor of cost um, with any expenditure for, for advertising. Um, product sampling or gifting um, has a cost associated, and most brands will look at their cost of goods plus the shipping as a part of that ad expense. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of brands do want to see a return. And typically with content, 
marketing, you need to bundle that with other things you're doing. Um, so what that means is to really to get a basic understanding of ROI with content marketing, you have to include some of your other marketing expenditures and outcomes. Um, it's very difficult to silo content marketing and say, I, I made this many dollars based on this many pieces of content that were produced. Mm-hmm. That's uh, The PR world is experiencing that probably worse than me, where, you know, what's a piece <laughs> of news worth? Right. What's the ROI <laughs> of that article? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get that argument a lot. And, you know, I always argue back. I say, well, what, yeah, I say, what's the ROI of a billboard? What's the ROI of a news article? We're just out there creating exciting events that are being captured. And if, if your product is great, and if these influencers love it, you're going to get tons of good stuff. So we try and capture all the good stuff, um, and we silo it. We have six different uh, areas that we measure, and we show the brand the values in each area. And in a lot of cases, the brand latches on to just one thing that they wanted. By example, it would be like, we wanted more, uh, better conversion rate on our paid social, or we wanted uh, more lifestyle content for our social media team, or we wanted... Uh, more reach and engagement and awareness over in this channel. And so like, it depends on the brand, um, the way they measure it. But uh, to go back to what you had said about physical products, we do actually work with services as well, but physical products just tend to be easier to measure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so cost of goods could be also like electronic um, or digitally delivered goods. So let's say you offer a, uh, a training course online and you want that to be spread around. That's also something that we can do and help with. So the cost of goods for like a virtual good is so low, it's practically zero. You know, there's, there's not much cost associated with the maintenance of it. Um, and services also have, uh, in a lot of cases, a really low cost of good. So yeah, I, I, would, I would say the cost of goods is a very important part of it. But the question to ask yourself is, if I ran into somebody on the street who happened to have 20,000 followers on Instagram, and I knew they were legit, like they, those 20,000 followers really liked what they did, would I be willing to give them the product that I offer at no questions asked, just here you go and walk away. And if the answer is you'd be willing to give it to them, no questions asked and walk away, then what we offer is, is excessively valuable because mm-hmm. that's what we do all day long is we technically are doing product sampling with, with a little more targeted influencers, but that's the gist of product sampling is you get your products into the right hands and magic happens. Let, let, let's go back for a second and again to talk about the measurables that the companies are looking for uh, from from uh, the events that, that you put on for them or the, what the influencers do. What are those uh, line item measurables? Uh, you said directions going to the uh, website and other things. Outline what those are for us again. Yeah, so the big one that, that people use to measure ROI is the website improvement. So um, think of it like we create content with influencers, but we also produce reach and awareness. So there's a little bit of a a split on what you can expect. On one side, the content itself is worth more than you're paying for the product cost and our fee. So you get this bucket of content and that content itself can be the media value on that content can be roughly $500 each. Um, And maybe you've only invested $100 after you factor in your cost of goods. Mm-hmm. So there's this uh, return on investment just to produce content. So if you think of it like these are artists and you're paying them to pr- produce these uh, unlicensed or license-free types of uh, content, that is in itself a production value. Um, some of our clients be- base us primarily on the production value. How much is that content worth if I was to pay a license and a photographer over here? Mm-hmm. So they move some of their creative budget to us. Um, another way to measure it is our jumping around a bit, but the website 
So how do you use that content to make more money um, is a big question. So a lot of what we do is strategy. Getting lifestyle content onto a person's website can be a game changer. Sometimes uh, it's the missing piece. So like Amazon or Shopify or your website, let's say you have like a product shot and you might have a model photography type picture on your product pages. What you're missing in most cases is a lifestyle piece of content. Mm -hmm. That is one where it's more of an authentic, engaged, real picture of real people using your product. And we found a really cool way to in insert that content into product pages using this little website widget. Um, and when we measure the differences between people that have seen our content versus not seen our content um, during on those product pages, um, we, in some cases we see a 3x conversion rate increase. And that's from uh, a study that we've done. So we had uh, 90 days with 30 different companies that we that are um, in our world that we measured on their websites, the difference between the traffic that didn't see our content and the traffic that did see our content when it was implemented properly, um, and the average was 3x. So that means some of them saw a lot more. Mm -hmm. So that's a major ROI advantage um, if you measure it properly and you implement our strategy. Unfortunately, I can't just say everybody does strategy perfectly. So, you know, there's some cases where it's not perfect, but that one is huge. Um, the other areas of measurement would be just like the standard PR type of measurements like reach and impressions. We do reach and impressions and, and also engagement measurements. Mm -hmm. Engagement is the key. One of the most important engagement measurements I like to point out is uh, CPE or cost per engagement. Um, engagements typically range uh, 10 to $100, let's say, uh, per engagement. If you were to just pay for a typical ad campaign and your focus was on CPE. In our world, 10, or sorry, 10 cents. If, in, in our world, uh, an engagement can be under 10 cents. Um, it can be very, very inexpensive. So there's a strong difference between uh, standard advertising that gets engagements and influencer advertising that gets engagements. Our engagements are very, very cheap. So that's another way to measure a return would be to say, move over from, if you're comparing apples to apples, how much is your CPE with us? It's going to be as low as you've ever seen uh, the CPEs in your life. Mm -hmm. um, the other measurement I would say is the, uh, sorry, I lost a little track, is we also measure feedback. So feedback would be if an influencer uh, doesn't like your product or finds something that could be improved on, they send feedback. And we use that feedback to make suggestions to brands and make improvements around their product and their, and their processes and their website. Some brands use us specifically just for the insights they gain from the influencers. So that's hard to have an ROI measurement, but that's another way to measure a return is what value did we get from these suggestions? And then there's, there's a couple others. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I had a little bit of a, well, it'll come to you. I tell you yeah, what, yeah. while, while you're <laughs> you thinking about that, one of the other things that, uh, that I think about is that a lot of times, uh, particularly in the PR field, we find that the people in the C-suite or the presidents and chair have a difficulty seeing the value of uh, maybe some, some public relations. Do Are you dealing with CEOs uh, and marketing people, or are you exclusive? I shouldn't say exclusive, but mostly with marketing people to get this uh, process through and sold. Yeah, I mean, we work with a little bit mixture of both. I would say it's easier to get the CMOs and, and the marketers and the social media managers on the phone. Um, and they typically call us because that's their job. Mm -hmm. um, CEOs, when they get on the phone, man, they make, they make this happen fast. So CEOs are our ideal um, conversation. If you can talk with a CEO and we can show them some of our widgets and some of the results of our case studies, in some cases, they, 
they can get things done so much faster that our system can be used to increase money across every channel. So it's some, it just depends on the company. The bigger the company, the harder it is to implement what we do across all channels. But if we do get the CEO and they see the value, um, we've seen some companies where it's uh, the CEO basically tells everybody they we have to be incorporated into all parts of advertising. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool when we get incorporated to all parts of advertising. And you know, that's a big, big space. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. As sales and advertising, if you break it into little pieces, there's so many things. The, the cool thing about working with influencers and lifestyle content is that we can touch so many spots and have significant advantages over what they were doing. It's easy to be a hero. It's easy to use our system to increase revenues. It's like, it's almost a joke how easy it is. So, you know, if you aren't using influencer marketing and product sampling, try it, test it and, and consider outsourcing it for scale. I don't know if that answered your question, but. Okay. Well, look, uh, we've, uh, you know, you certainly provided us with a wealth of information. I'm just wondering if there are any closing remarks that you, uh, you would like to make. Yeah, I, I guess uh, if I could talk to the, the marketers or the PR people of the world, I would say, you know, keep fighting the good fight um, and, and work to, to, to get trust is not a commodity in the minds of these marketers and these CEOs. Trust is not something to be bought and sold and, uh, you know, it's to be treated with, it's to be earned and to be respected and to be cared for. And, and that's my, that's my life purpose right now is to help people see that people, these are people, these are not ads. Um, influencers are great, but let's remember to show respect and, and to take care of them as well. Well, Zach, thank you uh, so very, very much. Uh, our guest today has been Zach Stallsmith. Uh, Stahl, uh, he is the CEO and founder of Apex Drop in Erie, Pennsylvania. And uh, thank you so much for providing us this insight as to how you have successfully gone to about building uh, your influence marketing uh, uh, enterprise with a different twist to it and be successful at it as well. And thank to our, you. I had a lot of fun. Okay. And to our listeners, please thank, uh, thank you again for listening to the Public Relations Review. And if you uh, have enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. Thank you. And we'll look for you on the next edition of the Public Relations Review. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast.